0: Hi, Nick here from Pods with Nick and James. Just a quick one before we get into this podcast. I want to say a massive thank you for the uh, support that we've received since starting these podcasts. We thoroughly enjoy it and we look forward to creating more. If you want to have your say on any topics that we've discussed, or suggest future topics, then you can do so at www.reddit.com slash r slash pods. And if you want to support us, you can do so for uh, from as little as one pound a month. And you can do that at www.patreon.com slash James. Anyway, back to the podcast. Hi guys and welcome back to Pods with Nick and James. I'm Nick. And this is James. Hello there. And this week we hope to find the reason why soldiers hate the month of March. How are you doing, James?
1: I'm um, I'm okay. I'm 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 doing alright
0: so this month we this week rather we have decided on the topic of military or rather I decided on the topic of military Um, so let's get straight into it obviously military exists as a means to defend and a means to attack Um, and military's main use is um, during war but can you tell me the eight reasons why war starts
1: okay um disagreement over land so like as in invasion um disagreement over a specific resource um I can't remember the exact one but the one used in the in the crusade uh God wills it uh so See, religion Dios? yeah so religion so uh you could do would you say that a civil does are we counting civil wars
0: civil unrest yeah that's a that's a reason okay all right in
1: which case then any leadership change
0: so civil um, unrest is different to revolution but both are um both are reasons
1: Okay, well, military coup, then, um, I guess. Uh, would that if... that would
0: be revolution, I suppose, that would come under.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. I guess, so, okay, we covered disagreement over land, disagreement over resource, religion. Um...
0: You've got five so far, which is pretty good. I mean, I'm thinking...
1: I hate to say it, but like just race genocide like you had in in uh, Serbia and you had in all of the... So nationalism, pride, yeah, sense yeah. of
0: superiority or superiority, I suppose. Yep. Yeah. Um, Alright, and I'm just thinking I mean
1: do people ever go to war literally? Is it ever just stated? Yeah, we're doing it for the money.
0: <laughs> well that's that's reasons. economic gain isn't it so but yeah. yes yes absolutely they do they it's okay, a resource right, isn't it? i wasn't
1: i wasn't sure if they were ever um yeah. ever that blasé about it like yeah. you know like if america had have said rather than ah, oh, we're invading uh, iraq and afghanistan not for looking for weapons of mass destruction they're charging us too much for our oil we want to get it direct from the source
0: yeah, well, they wouldn't tell us that in the media, would they? But that's definitely that's definitely why. <laughs> mm.
1: um, so there are two okay. more
0: in it. I would be surprised if you got these two. You've done really well. Well, um, I, t- I, t-
1: I tell you what, like I, I want you to. I, I'm going to give up there, but could you go through the list because I feel sure. I've dithered and and gone about the point and maybe come up with several answers which are in fact
0: the same answer. Yeah, so yeah. Let's yeah. Hear the so we've list. got we've got economic gain. Yeah, mm-hmm. So that's resources, money, wealth. Power, um, or maybe not power so much. Um, territorial game.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, religion. Mm-hmm. Nationalism. So that that encompasses a lot of racism and 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 other other forms of um, difference. Should we say that aren't necessarily accepted? And we've got revenge, which you didn't mention, but is very, very good reason, especially in the Dark Ages, as to why people went to war.
1: Well, it, mm, it's weird because some of the Crusades you could literally argue, not the whole things, not the whole things, but one of the reasons why... The crusades happened yes it was religion yes it was the it was the pope looking at a map realizing he was surrounded but part of that was um revenge to against some of the saracen raiding that yep. was happening yeah uh, at the time but okay you know what it's interesting that uh that's literally used as a reason
0: yeah like yeah. oh
1: remember when remember when they invaded a couple of years ago well we're gonna get them back
0: Hey, and let me it's... let me be completely clear here. I'm pretty sure I started a few wars in school when somebody stole my biscuits, so.
1: Yeah, but were they good biscuits?
0: They were, that's why I went to war, yeah?
1: Yeah, no, that's, uh, that, that's what I figured, that's what I figured. Rich tea or hobnob? Oh, bourbons, bourbons.
0: Bourbons on the way, okay. Bourbons, absolutely. All right, sorry, I'm back, um... away from bourbons, back to war. <laughs> um... So, civil unrest. Which you mentioned, yep. of course, uh, revolution, which are two different things, apparently. Um, not that I'm smart enough to know the difference. Um, yeah,
1: so they, did, did they split the hairs in the in the definitions there? Or, in that I'm at a in loss. that respect,
0: so um, I suppose revolution okay. isn't necessarily doesn't always start from the inside, does it? That's true. Um, yeah. And then defence or preemptive wars. You see,
1: that's the one that always gets me. I don't think I don't think preemptive military action I or I don't believe it I don't think it's justified because yeah. the world is full of so much uncertainty going, Ah, oh, well, we're going to attack first just to make sure doesn't just doesn't have enough weight with myself
0: no and I completely understand that I've always been um, quite reserved when it comes to expressing um, my opinion and I think you can't always take first glance as gospel what you observe on first glance can often be tainted by your own thoughts and feelings at the time and I think that's where people need to take a, a second to think process Before they react, hmm. Okay, was that all late? That was all late, yep. So, um, Hmm. economic, territorial, religion, nationalism, revenge, civil unrest, revolution, and defense.
1: Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. And what did,
0: uh, see what, in the First and Second World Wars, what were those claimed as? they were claimed well to be fair they were started over nationalism weren't they um mm. um i suppose a little bit of it would be economic gain but i think from our perspective not necessarily the uh, the german perspective but um from our perspective it was definitely more um economic and territorial gain than it was um nationalism but from their side no, from yeah, from our side it was more nationalism, but from their side they could say it was economic or territorial gain. I definitely confused the hell out of that answer, didn't I? So mm. do you know who's got the largest army in the world right now?
1: Okay, so I have some facts to do with this, mm-hmm. which are just kind of things that I've picked up, so I'd, it'll be interesting to see which ones are right, which ones are not. Uh, right now, yep, the largest army in the world. Yep. I'm going to take a guess, and it's probably going to be terribly wrong, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I'm going to guess that Russia has the largest army. The largest standing army in the world.
0: Um, No, it doesn't. Uh, And As a matter of fact, it Um, doesn't even come in the top three.
1: Ooh, okay. Does it come in the top five?
0: I'm not 100% on that, but I don't think so.
1: Okay, interesting. Okay, so my next guess would be the obvious one. America, or the United States of America. Top three, but not top one. Goddamn. Okay, it's not North Korea, is it?
0: No, I think you're thinking too small. Think population, or populace.
1: Goddamn. Um, so obvious now that you've said it. China.
0: Absolutely.
1: The Red Army, when you right? have
0: When you have an abundance of people, you might as well stick a fair few of them in your army, right? They have over two million conscripted armed force personnel. Um, with India and the US, having one point4 million each that kind of makes sense um,
1: to be fair like that that makes that's actually really it, it, if anything that's actually uh, not nice but it just it's ordered you know yeah. like China has a huge number of people um, it couldn't surprise me that its military uh, matches that. Um, Interestingly, most of uh, a lot of the population of China uh, is in the south and east of the country, with like the north and west kind of being incredibly mountainous. Um, So it's kind of interesting. It's not a this is where most of the people live. In this big country, equally spread out, it's no, this is where most of the people live on the border of or on the along this line.
0: Well, that's the same uh, as Russia, isn't it? I mean, you've got most of Siberia, which is barren and freezing cold, and mm. it's got about 30 people with, per mile. Um, whereas like the western coast, or I say western coast, the western border of, of Russia is mainly where most of the population is and it?
1: mm.
0: where it's pop where it's actually inhabitable should we say No that's that's a fair that's a fair point that's a fair point mm. um, So if mm. China has the largest army with uh, India and the US coming in a very close second do you know what the smallest army in the world is
1: is it in the Vatican City
0: I'm really surprised you knew that, but yes, the. Do you know what they're called?
1: Yeah, okay, so, alright, so first off, that was a stab in the dark, okay? But it was a calculated stab in the dark because what's the smallest country in the world, Yeah,
0: Vatican
1: City. It's Vatican City, so I just literally went by by that. Additionally, their army is, isn't it, made up mostly of ex Swiss special forces. And yep. although they're wearing, like, although they're wearing medieval attire and carrying a halberd, each one of those, sorry to say it, gentlemen, ridiculously dressed men at arms is an absolute beefcake and killing machine.
0: Yep, they are they the pontifical um, Swiss Guard. Fantastic. And they are the oldest army in the world as well. They they remain, and I I say this loosely, so there are older armies, Mm. however, their format has changed since they were implemented, whereas the um, pontifical Swiss guard were implemented in 1506 and remain unchanged. There is 110 single, and I say single as in not married, Swiss Catholic men, who must be over five foot eight inches tall. So I use the term smallest army very loosely.
1: That's interesting. Huh. Okay. Yeah. There, you, there you have it, folks. Largest army fits with the largest country. Smallest army fits with the smallest country. Mm. Um,
0: and whilst we're on any... the topic of linking, linking things up, can you tell me... Where did the first army appear in records? Now, this is the...
1: Oh, it wasn't good old King Sargon, was it? <laughs> it
0: was Sargon of Akkad. Yes,
1: fucking... <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yep, cut that out. Um, <laughs> yes, knew it. Uh, yeah.
0: I did kind of give a good segue there. If you didn't get that, I'd have been upset, but yeah. Yeah, no, And sorry. the uh, first military action was in a war between Suma and Elam in mm. 2600 BC. Now, Sumer and Elam are basically modern-day Iraq and Iran.
1: They weren't fighting over the Tigris and Euphrates, were they?
0: More than likely, yeah. That's pretty much what their world was built on back then, wasn't it?
1: Annoyingly alert. Alright, if you're from uh, Iran, Assyria, and Turkey, I do not mean to undermine you at all, but just like the sheer amount of uh, poverty that is caused by countries upstream damming the river is bad. The amount of tension there is over the lack of a resource which in England, where it always rains, we take for granted, uh, is genuinely... It's is, it is completely alien to us, so apologies if I seem flippant. But it is genuinely also terrifying that you've got peace treaties and threats of military action... Over hydroelectric dams being
0: bought being built, um, yeah, to be fair, like I think the main quibble they've got is with where the power that they're generating is going.
1: Mm.
0: because I mean, take take Dungeness power station, for example, yeah, where does the power that's generated at Dungeness go?
1: Well, I kind of was assuming. Um, that it would go up to London.
0: No, it goes to France.
1: But they... But they own... They own our power. Do they own our power stations, too?
0: Hmm. Well, that, they, we, I know that, no, I know the nuclear power from that power station goes to France. And I know this because I know people that work there. We
1: really need to, um... I don't know why why am i wait a minute that means if they fret if there's a threat of invasion we can turn their lights off
0: yeah 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 all right right. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm okay <laughs> and this with is it. why this is why french military victories were few but this is the thing i've i've heard okay
1: so you've probably got a load of facts there and i'm probably wrong here but i'd heard that historically the french are in fact the most successful military country in the world
0: yeah yeah so up until about the 1800s they were the absolute powerhouse of military mm. um up until about the 1860s or so they were the pe- the country that spent the most on their military they were the the, the country that had Um, like post Roman Empire as it were they were the uh...
1: they did copy the Roman model and I find it interesting like uh, do you mind if I go on a little tangent here
0: absolutely carry on
1: okay so the Roman model is you take half of your taxes and put it into your military it's weirdly enough it's also what the Soviet Union was doing back in the day when that was during the Cold War it's what some countries, uh, whether more fascist or militaristic, still do it. You can't ever go above that fifty percent because it means the rest of your infrastructure uh, ends up getting stretched to the point where it ends up breaking down. But it's interesting just how many countries go that far. Like, doesn't um, I may be misquoting here, and I'm hoping this will segue quite nicely into your next fact. When it comes to the uh, taxes going into military, I know the America, uh, sorry, our cousins across the pond, uh, they've got like, isn't it twenty twenty-five, twenty 20% of their taxpayer money goes solely into their military.
0: I only know based on gross domestic product, and it's about 4% of their I... gross domestic product.
1: In which um... case then? i am completely wrong and uh yeah but i do know that the roman empire at least did put half of its money back into its military well i can do
0: i can do budgets we can we can actually segue into that so let's go um basically in like the uk back in 1983 spent $26.4 billion, pound, uh, billion dollars, because that's the the stats that I was going by, because I was actually nosing about the Americans and I compared it to the UK. Mm-hmm. So back in 1983, the UK spent $26.4 billion, pound, uh, billion dollars on defence, um, and in which, uh, by 2021, can you guess how much it had risen by in nearly 40 years? Uh, 40 years
1: okay so um first off oh shit it's going up (laughs) um i shouldn't be surprised i am um i don't know for some reason i'm perhaps a bit naive here but uh, i thought military generally had shrunk in this country as we are no longer the world power that we once were in fact just i will actually answer your question but first Whereabouts is England when it comes to Standing Army? Are we even in the top 20?
0: We are, yeah, yeah as it goes for... 17. No, we're about 5th.
1: Get out of town.
0: Yeah, for yearly spend on military. But I will say this, the there is a clear leader by a marked margin.
1: Oh, I was thinking numbers wise for Yeah, no I mean, I mean forces.
0: I mean um this is budget this is purely okay. budget. Right
1: and, right, right, uh, right right.
0: We may well be in the top 5 mm. but we are dwarfed by the leader of their budget.
1: Okay. Well, all right. So okay. yeah, how, uh, much, how, has m- it grown how much has it grown in by
0: 40 years?
1: I hate where my mind's going, because it's gone, oh, my positive view on this is wrong. It clearly must be horribly, horribly dark. Has it doubled?
0: It's more than doubled. Um, So it's (coughs) currently at £68 billion per year that we spend on military and defence.
1: That's a good number of Harrier
0: jets. (laughs) So, comparatively... In 1983, how much do you think the US spent on their military?
1: Can you give me the figure for England again? My mind has gone to poop. In
0: 1983, we spent 26.4 billion, and in 2020, well, 2021, um, we spent 68 billion.
1: I'm going to guess that America in 1983. 70 70 Yeah.
0: You'd be closer if you said 10 times the amount that we spent in 1983. Get out of town. They spent 223 billion dollars in 1983 on their military. In
1: 1983 was uh, was Vietnam still happening because this is the weird thing about Vietnam wasn't is that, that 70s, it wasn't
0: like Ah uh, but the uh, late it's stretched, it
1: stretched over twenty. years when it was supposed years. to and
0: that's why that's why they ended up spending so much on their military and this is something that we'll go into but obviously this Ooh. is this is okay. all part of the the, the privatization of defence and how war becomes a um, yeah a, a machine. But okay. yeah, so so two hundred and twenty three billion dollars in nineteen eighty three how much do you think they spend now?
1: Hmm. So five hundred billion?
0: I'm gonna do a Doctor Evil here. But eight hundred billion dollars.
1: Eight hundred billion dollars. Eight
0: hundred billion dollars in twenty twenty one, that is a ridiculous amount. And like I said
1: That's you could literally build a country with that kind of money. Yeah. Like, and here's me going with Scotland, or spending four hundred million in order to have their own parliament building.
0: I mean, that's quite an expenditure for one building. Let's
1: be fair. That's what I. That's what I thought, and I I would have thought they would have gone like um, sandstone or something. They haven't. It's modern, you know, like they're going with a changing time and stuff. But I was considering the building itself. Somebody's pocketed a load there. But Mm. anyway.
0: Yeah, but um, eight hundred billion dollars in 2021. Bear in mind that the Russia's current that Russia's current military budget is sixty five billion dollars. I mean, should we just all be happy that
1: America hasn't crushed us all <laughs> at this point?
0: Absolutely.
1: Or, or do you think that we should be? looking more at they, they, cuz you know like it's it's clearly then in their ability to kill us so is it that the stuff I mean, that it... we're doing like what's the right way of putting it is it is it that the stuff that we are doing already benefits them and it's not worth the additional expense of going to war with that kind of defence budget
0: I mean, you I don't know, in think, order to tweak
1: our policies.
0: I think the UK are definitely very smart. We're definitely wiser than the U than the US, and for that reason, I think we're still allies with them. Because oh. I'm sure as hell, if I was in a playground and there was a kid that was four times my size, I would go and be his friend, because I oh. didn't want to be his enemy. So it's kind of weird that that you can make that
1: comparison um with England being wiser um to us being a little bit of a suck up like we like uh America's the the playground bully and then we're the the wheezy mean kid who then like uh, uh America's he, like boy go... you give us give us your sweets and then we're the little kid who goes who bends around the corner and just kind of goes, yeah,
0: yeah you tell them, boss. Yeah, you tell him, man. Exactly. Him. Oh. Yeah. No, it, I mean, are we are we not smart for doing so? Like, I'm not being funny, but we've been the powerhouse. Mm. It didn't do us any good. So maybe in our wise old age as a nation, we're kind of going, no, it's all right, you can take the limelight and get all the grief and... And be the enemy of the world, and we'll just be here. Mm. Yep, yep. So I want to do a little bit of story time, James. Oh, fantastic! Well, um, I, I, I hate to admit how much I love a story, but I do. So, the obviously we've quite centred around um, the negative traits of military, um, mm. and don't get me wrong, I'm not a glorifier of war at all. I don't think there's any need for a military in the modern day. Um, I think diplomacy can, can over, override most need for military. However, um, in those moments where the necessity has arisen, normally because the guy next door has started a row and like you need to defend yourself, um, some people have... Um, had moments of sheer genius that typically explains why they were in the position that they were at that time in order to make that decision because I know if I was in that position I'd probably just be screaming, running around, waving my hands above my head um, waiting for a bomb to land, but um, that's me and this is obviously them so in in World War Two, this is probably something that you have heard a lot about um, in World War Two, the, the Nazi um, created a machine which was used to encipher their communications. Do you know what that machine was called? Enigma? Yep, yep, it was the Enigma machine, um, which was ridiculously complex. And it basically worked on... Um, there was a keyboard that you would type um, and but you'd encode it with the the day's encoding okay and as you type it would then spit out these lit up letters in the top which would then there would be a second person writing down what those letters were and that's the message that you transmitted so you didn't actually transmit your message directly you typed it into this machine and then it lit up the coded message that you needed to send and the thing that made this machine so for lack of a better term unbreakable was the fact that every day the Germans would change their code which means you could spend all the time you needed to in that day maybe have a breakthrough and decipher their code the next but day it's meaningless the next day it's absolutely meaningless absolutely um so and that like a lot of the reason why the nazis were so effective during second world war was because of this encoded messaging that they had. So much of what they did was secret, and nobody, nobody expected, and nobody knew what their next move was. Um, that it, they literally crippled a lot of Europe before we had a chance to do anything. However, the UK, um, or England rather, started a um, a task force which was specifically tasked with cracking the enigma code and one man designed the world's first computer in order to crack the enigma code do you know what his name was i know i knew i knew that
1: the enigma code was one of the first computers or the the machine that cracked it mm-hmm. I, know that he's played by the Benedict Cumberbatch mm-hmm. in a film about this. Unfortunately I haven't watched that film.
0: So you can actually design these machines. You can build these machines. Get out um, of town. And they are named after him. They're called Turing machines. And his right. name's Alan Turing. So, yeah, as I said, Alan Turing um, created an immense machine purely designed just to break the Enigma code. Um, Unfortunately, when they first broke the Enigma Code, their knee-jerk reaction was to use the information and save the people that they could hear were going to be attacked. However, if they had have acted on that information, they would have plainly given away the fact that they had cracked the Enigma Code. So, they were left in a position where they could do very little, but they knew everything that was going to happen. But what it did do was it, it paved the way for plans to be made which could be um, used to bring down the German war machine which I thought was absolutely incredible um, another thing that happened during World war two which I was absolutely um, flabbergasted when I heard about this um, you know you know much about the Battle of Normandy I,
1: yes, is, okay, was the battle, okay, so, Dunkirk is when we ran away, Normandy is when we landed, Yep. um, weirdly enough, my, my grandfather on, well, actually, technically, I suppose he's my great uncle, um, my great uncle adopted my mom um, because tuberculosis, you know, I won't go massively into it. My family history is messed up. Um, but anyway, he actually was one of the pilots um, of the landing boats mm. for Normandy. Yeah. Um, so I know that a huge number of people got, yeah, a huge number of people would were dropped off a huge number of people died and i know omaha beach was the the shit storm center of it or the place where things were worse because the the air support didn't arrive the concentration of german troops in that building was higher and just there was a lot more going
0: on mm. yeah so normandy was an absolute masterstroke as far as um the Allied forces go and the reason why isn't I mean obviously it was wartime there were casualties but the, th- the whole ingenuity of that plan was something else and so Winston Churchill and his allied commanders came up with a fantastic plan where they would deceive Adolf Hitler into believing that they were going to land at Calais and what they did in order to trick Adolf Hitler was they lined the coast around Dover with wooden structures covered in canvas that looked like tanks and planes and tents. Absolutely littered the landscape around Dover because obviously Dover's where you would take off from if you were going to go directly to Calais. That's where you nice. would, that was where you would embark from. Um, and they left the army, the actual army, down in Portsmouth, well out of the way, so that their spy planes that flew nearby enough to see what was going on saw this formidable, formidable force building up at Dover. And Adolf Hitler was absolutely convinced that they were going to land at Calais. To the point where, when they landed in Normandy, he was determined to believe that it was a distraction, a a diversion. And that the idea was that the force would land at Normandy only to draw his forces away from Calais and allow the forces into Calais.
1: So he didn't even send
0: so he didn't send reinforcements until Normandy Beach was taken
1: that's a mistake
0: it's absolute genius mm. from the part of the allied forces that they came up with a plan that was so believable that the mastermind that was Adolf Hitler fell for it hook, line and sinker to the point where he lost key standing in France mm. Um, and that was the beginning of the downfall as well because obviously once they had the uh, the the information coming from the enigma code um, and they had a foothold in France they just pushed them back and from there it took about two years i think before German forces were forced back to their own lines
1: hmm. that's interesting I'd also heard that because of although uh, i like, I haven't you know what I really should look this up, but because I've also heard that because of the because of the help of a certain bank or without the help of a certain bank, uh, I hear the war would have been over a lot earlier. Um, but that's that's interesting. like also, i I know that both sides did this because there's also. Uh, a famous joke of um, there were a load of fake planes that the Germans had made in a field um, in in Germany and what the Allies did is like one of the, the jokes of the war was they sent a plane which then dropped a wooden bomb uh, onto this fake airstrip that the Germans had made just as a way of kind of saying you know we the j- know. Yeah, with the jigs up we know yeah yeah um oh, well that's that's brilliant and that's good to hear that that's how we are able to uh how yeah how we well one of the ways in which we are able to overcome things
0: hmm. and it, there is one more story that i want to go over
1: okay <clears throat> yeah
0: um this story is Um, Have you seen the film The 300? You see, I've seen it.
1: I've also done a little bit of research. um, Okay. The things behind it, so...
0: So you you know where it stems from, where the base story comes from? Well, yes, it's so... The film
1: 300 is based off of a comic book, which in turn is based off of Either some Greek or Macedonian um, propaganda, which in turn is based off of a genuine historical event. So there's a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. mills Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the,
0: the numbers have been exacerbated and, and dramified and, and oh, glorified no. in all their means. Um, but the the long and short of it was that there was a battle called the Battle of Thermopylae, um, which was essentially what had happened was the there was a second Persian invasion basically the first Persian invasion um, happened Persians invaded Greece um, a number of the city-states of Greece fell however um, after a while the Persians were pushed back um, and Darius the king of Persia at that time retreated back to his own country planned to reinvade Greece however he died before he had the chance his son, King Xerxes then took over and amassed what can only be described as the most formidable ancient force to ever grace the planet. By that point in time, um, mm. now stories have been, like I said, numbers have been exacerbated and you might hear the number that like two million forces crossed the river and crossed the crossed the gap and um, and invaded Greece. However, the number two million is far far more than what actually happened. It's actually nearer about 250,000 to 300,000 forces but that even in itself is still a formidable force of its time and like I said it was probably one of the biggest forces to ever walk the planet at that Mm. time. Um, And Athens and Sparta were two city-states that kind of unified um, two Greek city states which kind of unified and decided that they would not bow down to the Persian orders of surrender and would, would fight. And they, um, I'm gonna use the term amassed <laughs> very loosely an army of 7,000 Spartans, uh, 7,000 Greeks rather, um, of which there was about 3,000 Spartans and about 4,000. Um, Athenians, amongst them were their slaves, um, and they decided they would defend um, the Straits of, I've got to remind myself of the name, Artemisium, Artemis, and they would defend the um, pass of Thermopylae. Now the pass of Thermopylae was probably the masterstroke in this plan, because it was like a choke point. There was... Very little the Greek, the Persians could do, other than pass through like a 50 foot wide gap, which minimised the amount of forces that they could get to the Greeks at any one time. During which time that this war was going on, there was also the war on the Straits of Artemisium, where 1,200 soldiers in Persian boats came across the sea from Persia, um, bear in mind, there was about 300 um, sold, 300 of the um, uh, Greek ships on the water, and against the 1,200 uh, Persian ships, they were massively outnumbered, massively outpowered. However, the Persians came over during a very turbulent time on the sea, and they lost about a third of their forces as they travelled to the Straits of Artemisium. And not only did they lose about a third of their forces, they also became scattered, which allowed for the more organized and local um, Greek forces to kind of pick off as much as they can, they could, of these forces. Um, so during that time, obviously the the battle of the uh, the pass of Thermopylae is going on, and like I said, there, there was a force of around 200, 250,000 soldiers coming towards the Greeks um, and there was two solid days of constant fighting um, where in historic accounts even the, um, even the page boys of the knights or the soldiers shall we say um, the Spartan soldiers and the Greek soldiers would take their turn in battling against these Persians that were coming through the wall. The main thing that gave the the Greeks the upper hand was the fact that they were all wearing bronze plate armour, whereas the Persians were wearing more leather. The, the, The Persians had their short spears and their swords, whereas the Greeks had their long spears, and that gave them the upper hand as they were coming up through the pass. Anyway, they battled on for two days. And... After the second day, hypothesis says that there was a villager nearby that lived locally that betrayed the Greeks and told the the Greeks of a pass that allowed them to flank the Greeks. However, it's more likely that their scouts found a way up and around. Um, which, as soon as Leonidas, which was actually the king of the Spartans at the time, as soon as Leonidas um, realized that he was flanked. he um, sounded the retreat, and the majority of his Greek forces retreated back to um, I believe Athens, which was where they were where they were based at the time mm-hmm. and they um, and they left behind a rearguard of which Leonidas stayed, um, and there was about three hundred Spartans, about four hundred um, Athenians. so about ten percent of them total force stayed behind to protect their retreat. And they all died um in doing so at the same time on the streets of the uh, of Artemisian, as soon as they realized that the or they heard that the the battle at the pass of Thermopylae was lost, they retreated and came back inland um, obviously an act of sheer heroism from Leonidas, although I'm not really sure at the time, he thought it was um Courage that did it. I think it was more necessity that forced his hand into um, into defending his his army's retreat. Um, neither Athens or Sparta actually fell due to that. Um, Xerxes ended up his forces ended up too thin, and he needed to retreat back to his country. But he did leave a contingent to finish the fight in. Um, in Greece. However, um, he was unable to do so. So that was how the second Persian invasion ended. Um, Like I said, an act of absolute heroism from very small numbers. It is a very David versus Goliath story, which is why it's been, I think, glorified um, in the comic, in, in novelty, in novels, in films, um, the idea that such a small number can take on such a massive force um, is almost unbelievable, but like I said, the reason I find it so incredible is that one person, or a a number of people, had the ingenuity to use the terrain to their advantage and what an advantage it gave them Mm. Absolutely incredible.
1: I mean, it also really kind of highlights the importance of technology and... Or at least of equipment.
0: Yeah, the right equipment of the day. Because obviously, as as I said, the Greeks were wearing plate, brass plate armour. You know? Whereas the the Persians were wearing leather.
1: Mm.
0: Like, the Greeks didn't have to travel so far, so they kitted themselves out with their heaviest, thickest armour and their long spears... Um, the Persians, who unfortunately had to travel from across the sea and then all the way through Greece, travelled lighter. Um, but that in in turn was the downfall of that attack. You know. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty. I I love that story anyway, but um. Right, I... it's it's a, it's a good it's a good story, and it does
1: highlight a lot of a lot of things there about using your yeah, your environment to to its advantage
0: yeah, which obviously if you're playing stuff like um, Risk or Warhammer <laughs> that's where it comes into play for me and chess, you know, a strategist definitely um, definitely more of a strategist in those scenarios but I certainly, I don't think I could do it in a life and death scenario Geez, i was pretty sure well, it's, would just... it's,
1: it's, it's hard to send wave after wave of your own men um, at the enemy when it's genuine people.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Mm. So I'm going to move on now to the bloodiest wars. Um, so I'm going to just go with the top three, okay? And I'm not going to. I'm not going to do this whole like can you guess etc. Um, but we will have a little talk about each one of them in their own rights. So the third bloodiest war of all time lasted for over 60 years from the year from the year 1618 to the year 1683.
1: It's called the Hundred and Year War.
0: No, it wasn't. It was the Qing Dynasty conquest of the Ming Dynasty. Huh. Um, in China, and it resulted in the death of 25 million people over those 60 years. Um, That's
1: terrifying because back then that would have been a sizable chunk of the world's population.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. But it also does make me think has China always been so overpopulated? Hmm... Like that's a lot of people. That is a lot of people to just. They're gone. You know. I know it was. It wasn't necessarily a click of a finger. It was sixty years, but uh, that's two generations. As well, that, that that of time that that war spanned for. You know.
1: What, what was the end result? Like other than the death count, what was obviously what was
0: that the war well over? the king. I'm pretty sure the king dynasty ended up winning because the king wasn't the queen uh, the king dynasty one of those that is still going today or it was still going until the late the uh, early 1900s hmm. So the second bloodiest war was the second sino-japanese war it was waged between 1937 and 1944 between the chinese and the japanese and it killed over 25 million civilians and 4 million mil- military personnel so they were the Chinese again but I know that the um, the Japanese have waged quite frequent wars with China um, mainly because they have had massive population problems um, where they've outgrown their little islands and have aimed to take lands nearby in order to um continue their development continue their growth and be able to sustain their population um mm. which is a lot of the reason why they ended up with that honorable death the the old kamikaze um because it was either they won their war or they die trying because going home to their overpopulated um island was not going to give them An what option. they wanted mm. yeah Absolutely, um, and see if you can guess which the uh, the most bloodiest war in history is. Is it the First World War? No, it's definitely the Second World War. The First World War, I think, was about sixth in bloodiest mm. wars. Yeah, the Second World War. Um, Killed over 70 million people, 50 million of which were civilians, and about 12 million, it's estimated, were Jews. That's horrible. Absolutely disgusting. 12 12
1: million Jews, that's the entire... 12 million is uh, above the population of London or the greater London area, so that's... Yeah,
0: isn't the population of London like 7.4 billion people, or 8 billion people? 8 million people, rather. <coughs> Not billion, bloody honest, the population of the world. Yeah. Um, I always remember it because um, the population of the UK is 1% of the population of the world. 80 million. Yeah, 8 billion being the population of the world, 80 million being the population of the world, and 8 million being 10% of the UK's population being just in London. Mm. It's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> that is. And then 70 million people dying, that is... Isn't that higher than our current population now as a country?
0: Um, it's near. I think we're about 80 million in the UK. But yeah, okay. it's incredible. Imagine us just disappearing overnight. Well, I, suppose, I suppose over... I know the years.
1: world would go on, but like, still.
0: Well, the world, in perspective, yeah. Like, the world may well go on, but ours wouldn't. Yeah. You know. Um, so, I've my biggest problem with the military is... That there was once a need to um, show ability to defend yourself. Hmm. There was once a need because you didn't know what next door could do. You didn't know what um, might happen because of some bloke that lived over the mountains a couple of miles away. Um, and it was a very different world. Um, I don't feel, and I'm quite open to you um, trying to change my perspective, but I don't feel that uh, it's necessary for military to exist in the modern day. And the reason I say that is because we must have learnt at some point by now that War just leads to more war. You only need an army because your neighbour's got an army. You only need bombs because your neighbour's got bombs. Are we not in a position where we can discuss and negotiate um, developments instead of fighting to end disputes? I I wish that
1: I could agree with you. Um. I wish I could say that I think that humanity. Uh... Yeah. Uh... I wish I could believe that that humanity had gotten to that point um, but i don't i don't I think as individuals we're there as nation states we're not like the very fact that um, the very fact that the war in Ukraine, for example, is completely Russia just trying to take land. Tibet has been entirely taken over by China. Uh, to be fair, they didn't stand a chance. Now that we know what the, you know, the sheer number of the that army was, like there is. Unfortunately, there is still. Um, I'm trying to think of the right way of putting it. There is still conflict. There is still, unfortunately, that fear. There is still terror. There is still tyrants. Like, if everybody disarmed, but North Korea didn't disarm, I honestly believe within a generation, weird all be yeah we'd all be under the well under the heel of one of somebody with a name with the name King Jong don't know yep. which one it would be at that point but you know what I mean um,
0: yeah yeah no, I think I, I, you, I, I, you're bang on in the fact that it would be taken advantage of I think like we discussed in an earlier podcast human nature is very self-serving, and the opportunity, I think, would be too good to pass up for some people. I personally could not bring myself to... um, It's almost like... Do you remember that show? Was it Golden Balls with Jasper Carrot? Um, Did you ever see that? I'm, it's complete tangent oh. here, but go with me. Go with me. It's all right. It does. The whole point was that you um, you built up, you amassed a um, a pot of money between you and a group of people, uh-huh. okay, throughout the game show, and the final part is um, who gets to take the money home. Now, if neither of you steal. Then you both split the money, 50-50, and you both take it home. But if you steal and the other person doesn't, then you get all of the money. And if you both steal, nobody gets the money. Oh my God. Yeah? Now I'm very much of the mentality that I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to steal, I'm going to share the money 50-50, we'll both go our separate ways, everybody's happy. Yeah. Mm. But I watched this, um, I watched the show once and there was this woman who was so convincing. Um, and this bloke genuinely was suckered in. They were both going to walk away with £40,000 or something like that. Um, and then she opens the steel ball and steals all of the money and completely rips that rug out from underneath him because opportunity presented itself she knew what she was doing the whole time and that's human nature that is for every every 10 good people there is one person that will do exactly that you know mm. um the wolf in sheep's clothing um like it's it's renowned throughout history and it will continue to be a part of human nature for a very long time probably until we develop the ability to be telepathic in which case we cannot lie anymore then you're gonna look at a world without deceit because your intentions are completely out there but until such a time as you can read somebody's thoughts and know exactly what they're doing somebody is free to deceive you and that's true good intentions are only as good as the next person you know you can be as good as you want to be, but it's going to get quashed by someone at some point. Um, and this is the problem that you find in modern day. Now, my my biggest bugbear with um, military, and it's not really a bugbear, it is a downright disgust for modern day military, is the fact that there is now a privatisation of um war makers, um, yep. arms dealers, like tank builders, like plane builders, bomb makers, you know, they're not built out of necessity now. Back in the day where a farmer could um, build or make um, pikes if he needed to, um, or or um, a blacksmith could could increase his capacity to building more swords for the army if he needed to um, now they are mass produced regularly and rolled off of a production line as if they are bags of crisps at the supermarket um, for example Lockheed Marketing um, a name that has come up before in our podcast, Lockheed Martin, um, they have remained the biggest profiters of war since 2009. That's 14 years where they have produced the most profit year after year from war. In 2021 alone, they made fifty billion out of sales which amassed to a massive ninety percent of their profit came through sales to the US government for their arms now if you have an organization such as Lockheed Martin which relies on the turnover Of arms deals, then you have the necessity for war, the need for war as an organization and then you lose all sense of want, desire, need, it becomes another organization, it becomes another trade. What's your trade? Well I'm a soldier what do you do for money, I'm a murderer I go to other countries and I kill their people because my my government employ me to do so because they want to continue putting money in the pockets of private organizations Like let's go back to the days where you defend because you want to defend. You defend because you have something to defend. You don't just defend because you've been broken down and rebuilt to do exactly as you're told. I I think that's that's where the that's where military's lost on me.
1: Yeah. I think I don't think there should be there definitely shouldn't be this economical gain for war because war in itself is so wasteful. To be able to turn a profit in that in itself is uh, distasteful. The fact that we're then making it necessary is then also a problem Um, I know there is there are limited uh, resources in the world held the fact that so many people at the company that we're just working at are now being made redundant you know there is only so much of the pie to go around but there are other ways to handle things yep and that's yeah. Just so the folks at home remember it and not at all because I'm I'm terrible at remembering things. What's what's the name of that
0: company? Uh Lockheed Martin.
1: Lockheed Martin.
0: Lockheed Martin, yeah. Mm. And watch the news because um there's gonna be a lot of developments around Lockheed Martin and its its privatised um warfare. I should think over the next coming months and maybe the next couple of years. Mm. Um, The problem is, and I showed you, I I sent you the link to the video, Um, Dwight Eisenhower when he left office um, after his term as president in the US gave a speech which has resounded through history and he warns against the military-industrial complex, the privatisation of military the need and necessity for war as an organisation and the the risks of privatising power and that Mm. is I don't think he could have had any real understanding of how far this has gone and how much truth there was in his speech but he does say that only an educated citizenry have the power to overcome that that force and I think more people need to be wise to to what need there is for military intervention for military action and really start to speak up when they don't agree like you go back to two thousand and what was it two thousand four two thousand five when we invaded Iraq Um, And it was a completely illegal illegal war, completely illegal war, that was started under the guise of terror and weapons of mass destruction that did not exist and have been proven to not have existed. Mm. And yet the leaders that were in power at that time have faced very little consequence ...for their actions and their part in that play, even though they knew and have openly admitted that there was no need for them to go to war. Yeah. The fact that, wasn't Tony Blair made an ambassador of the peace?
1: Well, he's literally in the House of Lords...
0: Why, the, why is he I, I almost swore then but why is he still working in the House of Lords like why does he even still have a right to a say in what goes on in the world after that is that not an international war crime I don't want to get I don't want to get angry no, no, but it's no, definitely no. one of those things that really does get me get me going is when um people abuse their power and um, both George W Bush and Tony Blair abused the situation that was presented to them or they they manipulated whichever whichever is your interpretation Um, whatever happened um, in the lead up to that war they abused their power and sent countries multiple countries to war with innocent people, unnecessarily.
1: Yeah. Mm. It's interesting how justice falls differently on different people, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But remember, listeners, and yourself, James... As one individual person, yes, you have no power at all. But we're not one individual. We are people. The people. And there is no war if we all sit down. If we... I know I'm sounding a little bit more like John Lennon right now, but... It's absolutely right in that if you Are you, just are you saying
1: war now, is over if we want it?
0: <laughs> absolutely. The, the, the point is, if you're, if you're part of that wheel turning, just get off that wheel. Get off that wheel. Just go home. Make peace with your family. Spend some time with them. Get a job. Filling shelves at a supermarket. It's still better than being part of the war machine. I could not. I cannot bring myself to even believe to begin to think what it must take, what it must do to a person to hold a gun and shoot someone you've never seen. You have no idea what they're doing, what their thought process is, why they're even there. Yeah. Like I would be stuck in a complete limbo of. Why am I doing this? Who is this guy? <laughs> I would die very quickly in that respect. Because I'd be sitting there asking too many questions. Like, dude, do you want to talk about it? Like, are you okay? Should we put the guns down and have a chat? Cup of tea, you know? Um, see if we can really air this out and stop everybody from dying around us. But no, that's not that's not what you get told to do. So, But it's just, it's not human.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It... Hmm.
0: anyway I, I, I
1: think, I think... as much as we can Like, there's a lot of other topics that we can but I don't know about you You, but I'm running out of energy I, I will say that I believe that there is some call for military when it comes to disaster prevention but to be fair that's because the military has the boats and the equipment you could have the boats and the equipment without the guns yeah but, but then it wouldn't be military it would be something else
0: it would be so... a force wouldn't it but it would be a rescue force yeah you know which makes a lot more sense
1: would you say yeah. you could make it an international rescue force no sorry right um apologies <laughs> you <go. for> <laughs> uh but anyway yeah
0: can they have their own little um, island? Well, yeah. abso-
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And they'll need some kind of billionaire backing them, you know, providing providing financial aid.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, it will need to be top secret for some reason, which they never go into. Right, anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, before we go too far off topic, um, thank you very much for the research you've done. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've definitely learned a couple of things. Main facts that I've taken away from this are... China has the the biggest military. Um, The Vatican City has the smallest military. Uh, What else? Good old King Sargon had the uh, first military. (laughs) Was the first, you know, military commander. Um, The 300 film uh, is massively um, is massively overdone and the there wasn't just 300 of them, there was a fair few more. Uh, the spears are realistic, but the idea that they were all there in just leather loincloths and a shield and a cape, uh, is pushing it a little bit. Uh, that I've if learned America a fa- spends
0: eight hundred million, eight hundred billion 800 billion pounds per year on their military.
1: You know what? That's that's one of the things that I'd forgotten, but like that. That's a terrifying fact. Um, if there, if any one of our listeners is a quantity surveyor and wants to tell us how many houses that could build, that'd be great. Um, if one of our listeners isn't a quantity surveyor uh don't you know don't don't spend too much of your time figuring it out. I'm not going to necessarily do anything uh, for you. It's just that would be interesting to know, wouldn't it
0: I, I give you I give all of the listeners a challenge which is spend 800 billion pounds 800 billion dollars write oh, down write down how you would spend 800 billion dollars go to reddit um, r slash pods with nick and james or NJ pods one of the two <laughs> I can never remember now <laughs> <laughs> it's nick and james pods r slash nick and james pods go on there tell me how would you spend 800 billion dollars i'm pretty sure you'd run out of ideas after about hundred but i mean i i reckon i could spend up to 100 billion but i don't think i could go anywhere near 800 mm. i'm talking realistic things don't just make things up in order to spend money Yeah. I you
1: know what I've got a lot of things coming to my head at the moment but I I will I also realize that because you've because we're dealing with obscene amounts of money here my mind has gone to the obscene
0: yep. straight yeah away. absolutely have a it's think about it James chuck it on chuck it on the uh, chuck it on the reddit I'll get involved as well and I'll uh, come up with a, sure a list that. of my own yeah. see if I can spend a hundred billion dollars oh, um, 800 billion dollars.
1: Right. Okay. Well, right. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it night at there. Uh, thank if you have listened to uh, the last. List, thank you very much for listening,
0: Listers. Yep. Thank you very very much. Um, all the best. Take care. Bye for me.